From Next47, this is the AI Unveiled podcast with me, Gaurav Kotlin. Today, I'm speaking with Ashley Wilson and Santi Suarez Ordonez, who, along with their third co founder, Moise Varani, started Momentum, an AI sales platform. The three founders met at their prior startup, Sauce Labs. Ashley and Santi got married, and then they started Momentum. We start by talking about their background, motivation to start the company, and the dynamics of being married in life and work. Santi then discusses how the platform is maturing from AI that assists users to be more efficient to AI that automatically does all the work, such as updating notes and fields in Salesforce. Note, this was possible only once there was enough usage to train their custom models. Ashley discusses what changes they see in the revenue org and processes as a result of automation, as well as how the tech stack may evolve. They mention how most of the toolset today is around quantitative data. ARR, pipeline, and how they believe saving and acting upon qualitative data, calls, and notes will become increasingly important. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's dive right in. Welcome to AI Unveiled. Today, I'm speaking with Ashley Wilson, the co-founder and CEO, and Santi Suarez Ordonez, the co-founder and CEO of Momentum, a revenue automation platform. Welcome, both. Hi, Hi. Thank you for having us. Ah, so we have a co-founder couple. So I'm assuming at least you're much more considerate about date nights or sometimes missing date nights. <laughs> well, we live and die by our calendar. So if it's on the calendar, it happens <laughs> at work or at home. <laughs> we definitely have a marital contract to uh, kind of engage with each other through our calendar. So if it's in the calendar, Ashley knows that it happens. So, so Santi, who, who puts the date night in the calendar and how often do you have it in a week or did I say month? I'll say half the times it's Ashley, half the times it's our executive assistant. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it happens every couple of weeks, I would say. Okay, so for our dozens of listeners, you're getting no brownie points for that answer, Santi. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just to kick things off, uh, for those who may not know, can you explain what Momentum does? So Momentum is an AI automation pipeline that focuses on sales calls. Our job is to listen in on every single word said on every sales call that your team takes and extract the insights and turn them into value for the best. That for the most part means notes, fields in the CRM or signals that flow through Slack to the right people after a call is over. And we talk more about the product, but it's interesting. It's not just the conversation analysis, but it's the note entry and the downstream processing. And that's why the, the automation and, and workflow. Um, wonderful. And, um, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about the founding story, both of you. What's your background and what was the inspiration that, you know, that forced you to start this company? Yeah, I can take this one. Well, um, so we're three co-founders, Santi, myself, and Moise. Um, we all met at Sauce Labs. Um, testing company back in uh, early 2010s. And uh, Santi and I ended up getting married after meeting from there. So we, we stayed close. And uh, with Moyes, we, we kept in touch. And in 2020, kind of middle of the pandemic, started to think about starting a company together and what we would want to go tackle. And we all had experience in different ways related to kind of sales or the revenue process. But we were more excited about automation and kind of workflow process automation, bringing that to kind of the revenue process, both pre and post sales. And being in the middle of the pandemic, literally starting momentum from our table, uh, 
Slack really was, you know, a big way that companies were interacting, getting work done. And so the kind of combination of bringing process automation to sales teams, remote first, using Slack as sort of an interface was something that we thought was really interesting. And so we kind of started exploring and, and went off to the races from that point. Wonderful. Um, and um, Santi, um, you started Momentum, as actually said, in 2020. Um, a lot has changed since 2020, right? Um, both in terms of maybe, you know, the sales processes, the demand environment, uh, but also the technological platform. So how much has the, the vision or mission evolved over the last three years? Yeah, so it was definitely not the same uh, vision. I would say the mission has stayed the same, surprisingly enough. But back in 2020, you know, I was a, I've been an entrepreneur for a little while and started a couple of companies. And uh, one of the ways I thought about AI is that it tended to be oversold and tended to underdeliver back in 2020, right? People thought that, oh, AI is going to change my team and the way we produce and would buy all these tools that sell them a lot of promises. And then when they turn them on, it actually just didn't do as much as you expected it to. You know, our intuition and our uh, natural expectation of what AI could do was not really being met by the models and the platforms that existed back back then, you know, two and a half years, three years ago. Um, so when Momentum got started, really the core focus was on this idea of automation and workflow uh, streamlining uh, to really just drive my more productivity out of reps. We still wanted to improve data hygiene. We still understood that the real ROI for sales was always on getting more data with less less work. Um, but what really has changes, of course, when GPT models starting entering the scene, um, we started really realizing, well, AI is, is now hitting that point in which it can meet expectations and it can deliver legitimate value. And what has been more transformative for us is we have transitioned from using automation to help humans do a work that they always did a little more effectively to using automation to just let AI go loose and do the work itself. So what we're selling now is not really an efficiency play. We're not really selling a cut, you know, seven clicks out of your reps, 15 click task. We're telling them that the task doesn't need to be done anymore, which is of course a lot more interesting and uh, a lot more transformative for, for those businesses. Oh, so you've gone from efficiency to automation. And what I find interesting is companies like yours that start before this this hype, right? You you build the UX, you understand to understand the customer, you build the integrations, right? Uh, with maybe somewhat of a quote unquote dumb processes, and all of a sudden now the the kind of intelligence kicks in. It's like a perfect drop in. I think when it comes to timing on this disruption, we were lucky enough to be in the exact right time. I think there's a curve of companies. You have the companies that were built well before this transformation, and they are built on different ways of thinking and to power different types of workflows. And they have a certain uh, inertia and a customer base, a product roadmap that makes it really challenging for them to fully adapt. And then on the other side mm. of the spectrum, you have the brand new companies that are getting built exclusively with AI and site. But they're just getting started right now. The benefit of you know companies like Momentum is we had a couple of years in the market. We had built a foundation of automation, of integration, 
we had a customer base and all of a sudden AI comes in as a perfect drop in and you are, you know, three kilometers ahead on the, on the trend, but you were very able to tack and take advantage of it day one. So we feel very lucky and privileged to have been at just the right time at the right, at the right place at the right time. That's an interesting point. So being early, but not too early is the Goldilocks formula, right? Um, actually, uh, can you quantify the three kilometers ahead in terms of customer traction, right? Or anything you're willing to share in terms of just your, your, your traction as a company? Yeah, I think what we're seeing is just the velocity of, you know, customers coming in, seeing momentum, saying they want to do a POC. That's just kind of rapidly going a lot faster than before because everyone's really hungry for bringing AI into the sales process. Um, and uh, yeah, so we feel like it's it's an exciting kind of growth time for us and we're kind of ending the year super strong. And, and I think too, what's interesting about our customer base is we have public companies with, you know, a thousand plus reps using Momentum. And then we have seed stage startups with three reps using it. And depending on where you are, you can get a lot of value out of this. And the smaller stage companies build on top of momentum and kind of embed momentum in the process so that AI and automation just become part of how they do sales. And then on the public company side, you're getting kind of the mandate from the top down of saying, okay, how do we leverage AI? Where are we going to bring it in? And what's been cool is those companies kind of are equally open and ready to to embrace the software we're not having a lot of inertia on the deal cycle time or rolling out a poc so i think that speaks to just also being in kind of the right place at the right time to bring this tech to to sales teams let's zoom out like let's talk big picture the sales organization or let's call it the revenue organization actually um actually uh, in your opinion what does the revenue organization look like five years from now what stays the same um and what do you think changes dramatically I think our hope is that for reps in particular, the people running the deals kind of end to end, a lot of this manual task, a lot of the manual admin work that they've had to do is just kind of taken care of for them. Um, today, we're seeing it in terms of, you know, automatically extracting insights and pushing them to the CRM without them having to do anything. Maybe they're just editing it to make sure that the right fields are getting filled out. But our hope is that in five years, um, reps are really able to get on a call like I'm doing with you right now. I'm I'm listening. I'm making eye contact. I'm talking to you. I'm not furiously taking notes. I'm not thinking about what I'm going to have to do after this call. So that's that's something that I I think we're going to see more of. I think another trend that's happening certainly with our customers is this kind of merging of the pre and the post sales process and just moving yeah. towards one customer journey. So a lot of our customers have, you know, kind of that continuity uh, at the rep level from, you know, first touch to closing the deal to renewal. So I think that also means and leaning on automation to um, notify you, hey, a renewal is coming up in six months instead of just 30 days. Like, let's check in. I think you're going to have a lot more kind of touch points reps really engaging with customer their customers to make sure that you're getting value out of the product and not just on the CSM side. I think you're going to have a lot more pairing of a CSM and a rep to just say, how do we make sure that our customers stick with us? Because I think today we've learned that renewals are just not a given anymore. I think coming out of 
this buy, 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 and you know, companies just having a lot of money to spend in tooling, it was pretty easy to just sort of sail through and say like, yeah, we'll keep that tool, we'll keep that tool. Now it's like you have to kind of fight for your customers and make sure that they're they're getting a lot of value. So I think that that's going to really influence kind of how the sales process is done in a good way. Yeah, those are great points. I mean, for a while, I think, um, you know, many people have been saying net revenue retention is probably the most important metric, at least looking at SaaS companies, right, as a big proxy. And if I just take public SaaS companies as a proxy, obviously the universe is a lot larger, I think half to two thirds of net added revenue comes from existing customers. And that kind of speaks to your point of that unified organization seems to make a lot of sense when the predominant number of your quote unquote new business, net new added R, is actually coming from existing uh, customers. Um, but I did thought, uh, think that sales reps lumped entry notes inside of Salesforce. I'm just kidding. Um, so Santi, maybe that's uh, a little bit of segue into, uh, you know, based on these changes and maybe some of the technological advances, what does the broader revenue um, in tech platforms look like? What's the role of a CRM, um, especially with warehouses uh, kind of coming into the picture? Uh, right? It'd be great if you could talk a little bit about your opinions of what the tech platform would look like end-to-end uh, -end, uh, a few years from now? Um, so I, I guess I'm going to start with your your little joke at the beginning was a very good segue. This idea that refs love taking notes and doing, you know, admin. It's, it's a running joke. It's been a problem that has always existed. You know, sales organizations, you know, the field and management have always been aligned at one point, which is, we need to close deals. Everybody makes more money, more revenue for the business. There's no misalignments on that front. But the right second priority always becomes, well, we need data, we need dashboards, we need to forecast. And that's where the misalignments begin. The rest would love to not have to take notes. They would love to just be able to focus more on closing deals. And that is what I think is going to change quite dramatically. When you ask me, what is the role of a CRM into the future? I think the role of a CRM into the future is going to remain what CRMs have always done very well. Forecasting, uh, understanding my pipeline, understanding what the revenue for this quarter was, basically supporting the financial data that allows the business to, for example, report quarterly earnings. And that front, CRMs have been solid. You know, it's not a super simple issue, but it's also not in the point of frustration and pain for everybody in the process of selling up until now. The real point of frustration is what I think is going to go away, which is the management of all this soft, unstructured data that you tend to want to collect about deals. Things like, uh, what is you know Santi's main priority? And who, what are the metrics that they're looking into address? Who's the economic buyer? Or where does Santi live? So that it can you know send them a gift once we close this deal. All that data is just, really subtle and all the nuance of these deals has been, you know, you're attempting to push it into a structured database like a CRM and it creates all sorts of pain. Um, I think in the future, the tech stack that is going to support that data set is going to be extremely AI powered, is going to have a lot of automation and is going to remove all that soft data from the CRM into an unstructured data set, which could probably just be every word we ever exchange with that customer. And now it becomes something you get tap into. You can ask questions from, you can draw reports from. Uh, so I think it's going to be quite dramatic, uh, the, the transformation on that front. But on the, on the side of the CRM, you will continue to have a pipeline, you will 
continue to do quarterly earnings on that front. Now, if we zoom out a little further, pulling out from just the world of momentum, I think you're going to be building sales organizations all the way from, actually, uh, perhaps I should say revenue organizations, all the way from the SDR to the customer success rep that are going to be a lot more efficient. You're going to have less people doing a lot more work, managing more deals and managing them a lot more effectively. If I don't have to be taking notes, if I don't have to be trying to discern what my sales playbook is, if I have a automation layer and data extraction layer that and holds me through the process and delivers the data I need at the right time, I can just show up in every call, one call at a time, 11, 12, 13 calls a day, and just be what people are best, uh, relatable, consultative, challenging, just show up, listen, ask questions, and really actually help the customer, whatever stage you're interacting with uh, with them is. Uh, so I think I think that's the future, a smaller team that can do a lot better, that is a lot more human and is doing a lot less. Let's uh, move to um, momentum in a bit more detail. And actually, I'm just right off the bat, and because I think people might be just asking this question, how would you compare momentum to, to Gong? Do you partner? And of course, what additional capabilities do you provide? Yeah, so I think there's kind of a, a two-part answer to this. One is momentum is built for kind of the revenue team's purpose of sharing the summaries and the mechanism by which we do that is in Slack. So that's kind of, we're embracing that that's where teams are living. So we've architected the summaries and a lot of the AI for kind of quick consumption. I think there's, you know, a bit of a difference between kind of the Zoom summaries, which tend to be very long. Um, we've also architected it knowing that it needs to get into a Salesforce notes object, potentially a field in Salesforce. So that is a distinction, I think, when you're thinking about either a general purpose kind of summarization tool of which there are a lot out there and something like momentum. Um, I think the other thing is just going deep into the automation side of things and saying that you need to extract this data out from the calls and summaries are just sort of the tip of the iceberg, kind of the data insights that we do, whether it's pulling out medic fields or any field that you want to sync back to Salesforce, both the pulling it out and also pushing it to a Salesforce instance that might look very different if you're a five-person startup and that thousand-person, you know, public company. So Momentum has been built to be flexible, to push the data to where it needs to go and kind of mirror whatever your Salesforce instant looks like. And that I think is just kind of this, when you go verticalized in sort of this, you know, no-code automation engine, you take that into consideration and in how you build the platform. And that's just a different approach than, of course, Zoom, which is, you know, selling to consumers, SaaS companies, everything alike, a more general purpose sort of tool that is adding on the AI, but not fundamentally built to solve the same thing that we are. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're cognizant of the Salesforce instance of your customers, which is highly customizable, right? Um, and you're also aware of sales methodologies, right? Like MedPick that you that you mentioned, right? Um, maybe Sati, you, can you talk a little bit about what you know models do you use to be you know to fine tune to be aware at the customer instance level, right? What process they use, or what you want to look out for if the MedPick was the challenger, um, and what the customer interface or fields or objects in Salesforce look like? Yeah. So as it turns out, to extract 
the right data into the right places uh, for a sales organization or any sort of revenue interaction, there's a high degree of sophistication, uh, even from an implementation standpoint. We end up mixing and matching different models, things like GPT 3.5 Turbo with GPT-4. Now, of course, there's the latest GPT-4. They have different costs and they have different uh, technical benefits and, and limitations they provide. But it's not only about the model, but there's also the approaches that you take to provide those models with tokens and context about the call. Um, as it turns out, if you think about it, there's different type of approaches you should take depending on the type of question that is being asked. Uh, if I were to ask Momentum a question about a call, like what is the date that the customer agreed to sign the contract on? It's a very concrete question. We call those questions narrow and deep. And the approach you have to take for that question is to get the smallest amount of data from the call that is relevant to the question, right? If I pick up one sentence that includes the date in the sentence, it's a better approach than to picking up another 50 sentences from the call that have nothing to do with that. And if you added those, would probably not really benefit to the answer. It would probably be detrimental. Whereas some other questions that we see leaders ask for momentum, like, hey, what was Gaurav's perception of our product throughout the call? That is a very expansive and general and creative question. So we're applying different approaches technically to, be, to both understand the type of question you're asking and implement different approaches to give you an answer that will be high quality. Uh, so this is all to say there's a high degree of technical implementation on how all of these get done. And those are only two examples of thus far we've identified something like 17, 18 different types of questions you could ask, not only about an individual call, but about aggregates of multiple calls, like every call we had in the last two months or every call we ever had with Disney. Yeah, that's, uh, those are some great examples of the additional work that you need to do. Out of curiosity, how do you determine if it's a narrow question versus an expansive question? We've trained intent detection mechanisms, and depending on the question you ask, we have almost implemented different backend approaches uh, to funnel your question towards. Um, so it's an AI all the way uh, solution here that, that ultimately gets you to a really high quality a high quality data extraction pipeline. Uh, back to your, to Ashley's example, do you want Zoom to be doing this work for you, or do you really want to go with momentum? I think you're you're thinking of uh, to use an analogy like, would you just hire an intern right from you know the street to come take care of writing all our notes and doing our medic, or would you put together a team? Would you train them? Would you teach them the ways of your business so that they capture the data you need? Because ultimately, you know, leadership and sales is all about data. It's all about data. It's all about data quality. How do you assess data quality both before you release something, but also probabilistic software day by day, you you probably need to kind of have some ways of knowing whether things are at the level where it's providing good user experience. How do you manage that? I think we're benefit from dog fooding our product as we have from the very beginning. Um, momentum is immensely helpful for us as a team, and it's a natural you know, it, it feels very natural to use momentum ourselves. So I do think that that helps in terms of just the pre-release phase. We we release things in beta generally to a select group of customers, really our kind of earliest adopters who have, you know, gone along with us this past year of saying, hey, 
I think they were the first ones who came in and said, like, I've been doing X, Y, and Z with ChatGPT. So what can I do with momentum now as a product? And they're the ones who I think are are really willing to kind of battle test this um, and work with us on it. But it's a good point. We're, we're rolling out another mechanism uh, this month to let our customers kind of react with an emoji, either, you know, yay or nay on their calls and their questions and their insights. Um, we have a lot of execution logs that we show the customer that we ourselves can see of, hey, the prompt said X and it returned Y, but we're moving towards even getting just more real-time feedback as people are asking tons and tons and tons of questions of momentum to say like, well, why did this return this answer? Or what part of the transcript is it referring to? And so we're at a place where we want even just a quicker feedback loop because the product is evolving so fast. The models are constantly evolving. Our customers are asking questions and and pushing momentum in directions that we couldn't have imagined a year ago. Um, so, and I think then at the end of the day, you, you have a lot of, um, some grace with your customers, ourselves, the tech. We're, we're obviously built on open AI. It's, it's, it's a changing landscape. So you have to kind of be aware that part of being an early adopter, part of bringing this into your process is that there, there are edge cases that maybe don't return the answer that you're expecting. Um, and that's where, again, kind of having that quicker feedback loop, I think just pushes us forward a lot faster and kind of a more robust product offering. Yeah, you sure must be happy that um, most Salesforce feels are editable. That probably helps uh, providing that uh, that grace. And you know, based on the use case, right? Like definitely the level of tolerance to error varies. But in your use case, at least you know someone is reviewing it, and I'm sure that that helps. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the the UI, the UX, and getting the end user feedback, right? Um, because I see you know top companies, you know, that's a common pattern. Both the explicit thumbs up, thumbs down, but also implicit tracking how many times they're editing your field, et cetera, right? So is, is that how you think about it as well? Or do you have any additional implicit usage analytics that you track to see the quality of your 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 insights? Yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up too is momentum. If you have a call recording tool like Gong or Claret Copilot, there's plenty in the market and we don't, we're not playing in that exact space. Momentum is in the business of extract, extracting data from those calls, we can look back. And some of the benefits of being able to pull back and backfill calls from your history is we can run a call by four different approaches and assess the quality of you know, those different approaches and the answers we get. Um, so this is one of the benefits of uh, both being a little ahead of the curve from brand new startups and having a customer base. By now we have you know thousands of reps taking calls with momentum every single day and therefore Sometimes, some days, tens of thousands of calls that are flowing through the system, it allows us to refine and iterate and try approaches and compare them at a velocity that, you know, you just can't if you have only 20 customers or 10 customers or, or 20 reps using the product. It's almost like the Tesla advantage, right? Once you have a fleet of hundreds of thousands of cars collecting data for you, it's really hard to catch up. Uh, and in the world of momentum, we've been able to accrue a customer base and a workload that has allowed us to iterate on the quality of our answers a lot more rapidly than, than if we, you know, we're currently private beta or we're about to launch. I'll add to that too that the autopilot, kind of the data extraction of just, you know, we have some customers who on every call are extracting, you know, 15 insights that they then sync to the CRM. And all of those insights have, like I said, this kind of execution log 
what was the prompt, what was said, said. So it's not just the calls that are kind of running through the models and running through that we're kind of get testing on. It's the summaries themselves. It's the all of the fields that you want to pull out. And then it's the questions that you're asking. So we actually are accumulating a pretty large data set. And because the automations are just running behind the scenes, I mean, it's kind of the Tesla model too. Like the cars are just running. You know, when you have a Tesla, you're driving it, but behind the scene, it's collecting all the data and Momentum is doing that as well. Um, so it's really helping us kind of, I think, iterate fast without having to always be interacting with our customers to get their feedback. A lot of things are happening behind the scenes that are allowing us to tweak things and fix things uh, and improve. Yeah, what's interesting, you have the reservoir of meetings, the unstructured long-form data, but also the summarized insights that are often edited by humans. So you have this natural uh, feedback loop, uh, which I'm sure is great for your models to train on. Now, both training and inference from the models uh, based on the use case can be computationally expensive. Is that a concern for you guys or, or a focus to kind of increase your gross margins? Yes. I mean, I think in the world of AI, the, the classic model of SaaS, you know, 99% margin, uh, it's kind of getting broken down a little bit and you have to get a lot wiser uh, about understanding your cost structure. We have definitely run calls in which we spend a dollar, a dollar fifty, two dollars, three dollars on analysis. And when, of course, you have thousands of calls flowing through the system, uh, you got to be smart about measuring and understanding and optimizing the usage. Uh, the benefit is we have on one side built all of the data sets that allow us to understand how we're doing and kind of trend it in the right direction. Um, and on the other one, I think the AI wars at the foundational model level is just starting to develop. So we see a very strong trend for those to go down uh, as, you know, GPT 4.5 or 4 Turbo came out. It's 10 times more expensive than the previous models. You know that as soon as the next rollout comes out, that price will come down, perhaps sometimes by an order of magnitude as well. So I think you have both the cost trending down, but also the muscle in this new organization has to be wise about what they're actually spending. If you're not measuring it, I don't think any serious investor we get in front of you uh, to talk about investment because they know that you could literally blow through thousands of dollars that would go straight into opening eye if, if you're not you know aware of what this costs to run. Yeah, OpenAI and of course then down to NVIDIA. Um, but um, yes. uh, and that's uh, I find it funny when NVIDIA invests in startups. It's like you're giving with one hand and taking away with another hand. But um, you know, it's uh, it's uh, and, and in fact, you talked about how you're smart about which models you use uh, based on uh, type of call, type of question, and probably there's an accuracy element of what model to use, but a cost element of what model to use as well. That's on the cost saving side, um, you know, on the pricing side and the, on the top line revenue side, can you talk a little bit about your pricing model and whether that's influenced a little bit by the consumption nature and the cost structure? Yeah. So we have different uh, prices per seat. We currently charge uh, per seat for a, uh, it could be a sales rep, an SDR, or a customer success rep that is taking calls and having those be analyzed. Um, the different tiers can determine what model we can use for your use case. And Momentum can dynamically be configured to pick one model or the other uh, in that regard. Um, 
I think in the future, there's a chance that we could go into an even more foundational consumption-based approach where instead of charging per seed, we could charge per call, uh, where you could set up momentum with just a credit card and a couple of calls and get your mind blown by them before you really kind of turn on the floodgates and turn it on for 1,500 people, uh, thousands and thousands of calls a day. Uh, but today, I think the world of sales runs on per seed per month paid annually, like Salesforce, and uh, we're following that lead. I think it's a very easy way for buyers to think about procuring tools. And it's not too hard for us to look at our customer base and understand how many calls you're going to have on a single rep per month and project and, and put a cost that makes sense uh, in that world. We have Excel and Excel and Excel spreadsheets where we're measuring token counts per person, per task, and we're projecting cost and, and we're tracing it back to make sure that we're calculating it right in advance and backwards. Uh, so it's a, it's a fun part of building a business. And I think it's a part that if we were building momentum back in 2020 where cost and burn multiples did not matter, we could have overlooked and it could have, it could have bit us back. Uh, but hey, it's 2023 and everybody cares. So we've been able to really develop that muscle and get wise early before, you know, OpenAI is sending us incredible bills that we need to raise money to, to pay. <laughs> Great. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit to org structure. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your product engineering uh, organization is, is, is structured, especially in terms of innovating in AI, is there a single team that's spread across the team? Uh, provide some context. We're still a lean team. So we've got, I think, uh, eight engineers, including Moise, our CTO. And I think that in a sense, everyone is involved in this effort to kind of bring AI to our customers because we're very customer centric. I think um, by nature of just staying close to our customers through external Slack channels and kind of being kind of available to them to give us feedback, make requests. Every engineer is very customer focused. So by extension, like I said, they're kind of focused on this AI effort. We do have a couple engineers that are are really, have been driving the, the goalposts forward uh, along with Moise, um, just given their, their background and their experience. And we're really leaning on them to, um, you know, raise the hand when the new model is coming out and they say, hey, let's really think about how we're going to use this and the price of it. So we have a couple of um, key folks who are who are really making helping us make strides in this area. But I think as we grow, um, you know, we're still a seed stage company. Hopefully, you know, next year as we transition into this next phase of growth, it will make sense to have kind of a team that is dedicated to sort of our AI effort. And I don't think it will be our AI product. I think it will be kind of our AI. Uh, brain group think that then, you know, the AI is going to be spread out throughout the product. So I would see it being more of a, um, a group that is, is kind of thinking ahead to like, where we sh- where should we be in five years? And also how do we keep the vision to get there and what do we need to build to get there? Um, and then of course the rest of the engineering will sort of flow from there, probably in terms of kind of product groups. I think that's a little bit of how we've been thinking about it so far. Yeah, I would call it AI infrastructure. I think is it the best way to aggregate it in the same way in the past you had a DevOps organization that centralized all of the hardware and infrastructure components into a single team that builds abstractions for everybody else to consume a benefit from. 
there is going to be a team at Momentum whose primary job will be to think deeply about solutions built on top of these foundational models that everybody else can benefit from. The front-end team, the back-end team, multiple product teams, and that's going to have a piece of the momentum of today that has proven to have uh, the most seniority and, and the most skill in the space of leveraging these models. Uh, I think every organization in the near future should build an AI infrastructure part and, and start developing it. Yeah, and I've seen a version of that where you have the infrastructure, as you call it, and part of that is also building the right data pipeline because your AI competency is a function of your data aggregation competency. Um, you, you're obviously a AI-first company. I'm curious, how much of your roadmap is about core AI-centric capabilities and how much of it is about the quote-unquote boring stuff, right? Like the workflows, aggregations, automations. I'd love to just subjectively, how would you divide it up at a high level, just ratio-wise? You'll be surprised. I think I have an answer here that is perhaps not uh, fully expected. I, I think I would be surprised, but go on. <laughs> let's let's try. I would tell you that about 30% of our effort is foundational AI workloads and about 70% is the boring stuff. Because I believe that even though AI can be really impressive when you put together a demo, when you generate a summary, uh, for that to be valuable to your customers, the boring stuff has to come into play. You need to build automations, you need to build integrations. And our one and only focus, even that we're, pers we're pursuing revenue from day one, is how do we turn this into a product that delivers value to the buyer? And that usually means you're dealing with the CRM, you're writing data, you're creating contacts, you're creating Salesforce cases, you're pushing it to Notion, you're pushing it into Sendesk. I know that sounds boring, but we're selling to businesses here. And what they're looking for is to increase revenue and to reduce cost. Uh, cool demos will cut it for that. Uh, so I would say probably 70% of our effort is into making sure we productize the outputs and the insights that AI is generating for us and turn them into decisions and signals and data that you know the business can use to forecast. That's the boring stuff, but that's what gets you know, paid for in the end. I'm not surprised and I'm encouraged and happy to hear this answer because I do believe um, that's, uh, again, all based on your use case and what solution is. But um, there's this concept of, you know, AI tourism where I think there was a report done by Sequoia where the average AI first company, the retention is twice as bad or the attrition is twice as much as, you know, the boring company or workflow base. Um, and I think that you need to you know, solve the problem of the customer, build the functionality end-to-end, -end, right? Uh, and there's, of course, AI to make it more intelligent, the multiplier effect, but you need to multiply other stuff as well, right? Uh, so I'm not surprised, Santi, because I've educated myself on it, uh, but it makes complete sense. This has been such a fun and insightful conversation. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Santi. Before I let you both go, um, this is a question we ask everyone. Ashley, starting with you, outside of sales, what um, AI use cases are you most excited for? I'm really excited to have kind of AI embedded in the home, like so our Google Home or whatever the next device will be, um, really real-time kind of uh, uh, interaction by voice of questions and things that we want done. I think that kind of a, a voice-first world of, of AI kind of embedded more in the day-to-day -day as you have a question or a thought or you haven't like where we used to say, let me Google that. 
I want to say like, oh, let me go ask, you know, the AI for that. So I think that that's going to be an exciting kind of addition to, uh, to our, our world. Yeah. And, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but wait till at least my child is always amazed where she can have, okay, Google, then we probably shouldn't be saying this on a podcast, but okay, G, yeah. uh, play back a song that she wants to play. Yep. <laughs> uh, Santi, what about you? Um, you know, there's so many things that AI can disrupt in, in the world of business, of course, it's everywhere. But uh, I personally could not avoid but thinking about uh, healthcare. I think it's such a costly industry and it's so frustrating when people need to, you know, go to healthcare providers for mundane things. Uh, we have three kids and therefore we run into a myriad of situations in which we could use some advice, we could get a diagnosis for something that seems somewhat trivial, but you definitely want to get an opinion on. Um, so being able to take a picture of a, whatever, uh, some mark on one of our kids' skin and run it by ChatGPT and get questions back and kind of collaborate on a diagnosis, uh, I think it's just such a better experience than you know what things used to be in the past, which was, Go to an emergency room, wait for three and a half hours, talk to somebody for four minutes and get, you know, a superficial uh, diagnosis back and come back home frustrated saying you'll never do it again. Uh, I think healthcare is very much ripe for uh, disruption, especially on the mundane everyday kind of incidents that, that happen yeah. in, a, in a household. Yeah, very exciting. It's a huge problem. The turns of innovation are slow, especially given some of the privacy aspects, but thankfully there are lots of super intelligent people and lots of money chasing those exciting opportunities. Ashley, Santi, this has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Gaurav. Been an honor to be here. <laughs>